DiscerningHearts.com and the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study presents Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon Doran, along with her husband Steve, are founders of the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study, whose mission is to actively seek truth and raise up disciples for our Lord Jesus Christ through an in-depth Catholic Bible study. Sharon, who holds two master's degrees in education and in pastoral theology with an emphasis in sacred scripture, is an experienced Bible study teacher for over a decade. She has a passion for scripture that motivates and challenges her students to immerse themselves in God's word and apply his message to their everyday lives. We now begin the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study with Sharon Doran. Welcome back, friends, to Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study. We're studying the temptation of Jesus, part two today. Is temptation ever a good thing? I love what it says in the Catechism of the Catholic Church at paragraph number 2847. Listen to this. The Holy Spirit makes us discern between trials, which are necessary for the growth of the inner man, and temptation, which leads to sin and death. We must also discern between being tempted and consenting to temptation. Finally, discernment unmasks the lie of temptation, whose object appears to be good, a delight to the eyes, and desirable, when in reality, its fruit is death. God does not want to impose the good, but wants free beings. There's a certain usefulness to temptation. No one but God knows what our soul has received from him, not even we ourselves. But temptation reveals it in order to teach us to know ourselves. And in this way, we discover our evil inclinations and are obliged to give thanks for the goods that temptation has revealed to us. That's from Catechism number 2847. I think it's interesting to reflect on. You might want to read that again on your own, 2847. Temptation leads us to sin and death. But remember, discernment is a gift we have from the Holy Spirit. So pray for that gift of discernment. It's a gift of right judgment to know a trial from a temptation. Know what tempts you. Have that self-knowledge because temptation will lead us to sin and death and should be avoided. We pray in the Our Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And listen to what St. James has to say about the two, trial and temptation. James chapter 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good endowment and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures.
Oh, I love that by St. James. James also tells us to resist the devil and he will flee from us. We learned so much from the way our Lord handled temptation in the desert. Just to place things in context, Jesus had already submitted to John's baptism of repentance in the Jordan River, the lowest place on the face of the earth. The clouds tore open, the Holy Spirit descended over Jesus in the form of a dove, and the voice of the Father was heard, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Some translations say, This is my beloved Son on whom my favor rests. Favor in the Bible means grace. When the angel Gabriel came to Mary, he said, Hail Mary, full of grace. Some translations read, Hail Mary, you are highly favored. Mary was a highly favored daughter, one who was full of God's grace, a highly favored daughter in whom his favor resides or his favor rests. God's pleasure with Jesus had come down in the form of a dove. He is a highly favored son, one on whom God's favor rests, and God is well pleased. The Holy Spirit had come down on him and stayed with him, which was the sign from heaven for John the Baptist that this is the one, this is Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one that you, John, were created for to announce to the whole world that Messiah has arrived. Mary, too, experienced God's favor by being overshadowed with that same Holy Spirit at the time of the conception of Jesus Christ. In this Holy Spirit cloud, humanity, namely Mary, literally met with God. Mary's womb became the new tent of the meeting. If you recall in the Old Testament, Moses would talk to God face to face in the tent of the meeting at the time of the desert exodus. That same Holy Spirit cloud was present. Mary now is the new tent of the meeting. God is meeting humanity within her and becoming incarnate flesh. That angel told Mary, do not be afraid. Why? What had she to fear? The enemy, because the battle that would ensue over this baby in her womb that she's saying yes to, it will be the battle of all battles because Satan wanted to destroy this child within her. This Holy Spirit overshadowing will be followed by a great battle. When the Holy Spirit comes down on Jesus in the desert, a battle immediately ensued as well, because he is led out by that spirit to the desert to battle with Satan himself. Mary's ultimate battle will also be with the ultimate enemy, Satan, the one who wanted to devour her child the moment he was born. Mary is the new Eve, the new woman, the mother of all the spiritually living We saw Satan battle with Eve in the garden as a cunning serpent, as a snake who whispered in her ear. He always deceives himself as an angel of light. But God now with the new Mary, the new Eve, wants to reverse the curse of the old Eve and the old Adam and bring blessing to all humanity to restore the fallen order of a disordered creation. So Mary's worst enemy will also be Satan, just as he is our worst enemy. And he still is after Mary's children. That's us, those who obey the commands of her son, Jesus. St. John the Evangelist took Mary into his care after the death of Jesus. He had this vision while exiled on the island of Patmos. Listen to what John recorded in Revelation chapter 12.
Revelation chapter 12 And a great portent appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was with child, and she cried out in her pangs of birth, in anguish for delivery. And another portent appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems upon its heads. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child, that he might devour her child when she brought it forth. She brought forth a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they were defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives, even unto death. Rejoice then, O heaven, and you that dwell therein. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had borne the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle, that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, and times, and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came up to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river which the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon was angry with the woman, and he went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and bear testimony to Jesus. Ah, yes, the battle with the dragon, the evil one, Satan. And the dragon was angry with the woman, and he went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and bear testimony to Christ. How does this angry dragon make war on the rest of Mary's offspring? One way is through temptation. He tempts us. He mainly tempts us to not trust what God has said, just like he did to Eve in the garden. You can't believe God's word. Did he really say that? It's the age-old deception he used in the garden with Eve that God's word is not trustworthy. God's word is not true. That is his lie. And that's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer as he taught us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because we can fully, fully trust God. We can fully trust his word. We can fully trust him. And, and he wants us to obey his word 
not to keep us down, but for our own life and happiness. Let's listen now to Matthew's account of the temptation of Christ in the desert, and then we will resume with the Seeking Truth Lecture Part 2 on the temptation of Jesus. Matthew chapter 4 Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted forty days and forty nights, and afterwards he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give angels charge of you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Remember the three things that Ignatius of Antioch said must stay hidden from Satan until after the resurrection. So this is interesting. Top secret things from Satan. Virginity of Mary. Virgin birth. We talked about those. They needed to stay hidden from Satan. Also, he says, the death of Jesus on the cross needed to stay hidden from Satan until after the fact. If Jesus displays all his godly divine power to Satan right now, this could potentially thwart God's perfect plan of salvation. Jesus must be disciplined to hold back, to resist temptation, to obediently follow the perfect will of the Father. The death of Jesus on the cross. Is that going to surprise Satan when that happens? If Satan suspects Jesus to be a great prophet, a son of God, sent from God, He's going to expect him to be put to death by the world, of whom he is the prince. What do I mean? The stoning of Stephen, Acts chapter 7. Stephen says his eloquent sermon, and then they start stoning him. Full of the Holy Spirit, he tells them, Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. Every single prophet God sent, they murdered Hebrews 11 tells us about it, that great chapter of faith. There's a whole section of verses that talk about they were tortured. They, they, uh, this is about the prophets. They faced years and flogging. They were chained. They were put into prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. That was Isaiah. Isaiah was sawed in two. Look at the way the prophets died. Isaiah suffered martyrdom by being sawn. Jeremiah suffered by stoning. Ezekiel was suffered martyrdom in the land of the Chaldeans. Micah suffered martyrdom. Amos tortured. Zechariah killed at the altar of the temple. Okay, this is what they do to prophets. The most recent prophet among them was John the Baptist, and you know what happened to him. So, if Satan thinks Jesus is another great prophet who dies, too bad, so sad. That's what we do to prophets. I'm the prince of the world. 
So the first temptation is carnal. The apple, the bread. Second part, to acquire divine power or to display divine power. Round one goes to Jesus. Ding, 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 Jesus wins, round one. Old Adam lost round one. He eats the apple, he cannot resist. He loses round one in part two. He tries to acquire knowledge. He takes the carnal pleasure of the apple that God told him not to, and he wants potential divinity to know as much as God. He, he takes from that tree of knowledge. Pride goes before the fall, he's proud. They've been duped by Satan. They did not resist temptation. The love of self and self-gratification and self-serving came over them. The old Adam took the bait. The new Adam, Jesus, does not take the bait. Jesus wins round one, and this is a battle. He does not succumb. The rock stays a rock. No carnal pleasure, no display of divine power. He quotes scripture. This is true resistance, and the Father is well pleased. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. And the Father said, I am well pleased. The Father is well pleased. When the Spirit comes upon him in the Jordan River, he's anointed as a son of God. This is also an anointing of divine kingship. This is what happens to kings all the way through the Bible. When you're anointed by the Holy Spirit, it means sonship and it means kingship. 1 Samuel, verse 10, Samuel anoints Saul, the first king of Israel. He pours oil on his head, and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him in power, and you will prophesy, and you will be changed into a different person. When David is anointed, the next king, Samuel anoints David, and the Spirit comes upon David in power. From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. The Spirit of the Lord has come upon Jesus. This is his inauguration as king. It's in a divine appointed office. He's son of the Father. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He is, the, he is what Isaiah is fulfilled. The Spirit of the Lord is resting upon him. And Luke tells us in Luke chapter 4 that then he goes to the synagogue and he reads Isaiah 61 and is fulfilled in front of them. And they are astonished because he opens the scroll and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And everyone knows it's true, the authority he speaks the scripture with. Peter says that in Acts chapter 10, Peter's speaking and he says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Jesus is anointed. This is kingship. This is a new kingdom. And every single time a new king was anointed, what's the first thing the king has to do? Battle. Jesus has just been anointed king. There's a battle. And it's not like the world's battles. It's far greater. Ding, 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 next round. Game on. This is a battle. Spiritual warfare. And every good king has military tactics and strategies. Every good king. It's like a big chess game. This is check. And this is checkmate. It's finished. This is when the battle's over with Satan not before. This is when Satan's head is crushed. This is when Satan is duped. This is the fulfillment of Proto-Evangelium Genesis 3.15. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And he says, do not look for the living among the dead because Jesus has conquered the power of death. Round two of the temptations. Then the devil took him to the holy city and made him stand at the parapet of the temple. And he said, if if you are a son of God, he's trying to find out his true identity. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written in scripture that he, 
you're quoting scripture to me, I'll quote it right back to you, buddy. It's written that he will command his angels concerning you with their hands. They will support you lest you dash your foot against a stone. He's quoting Psalm number 91, a Psalm of King David, a mighty Psalm. God will protect you. Satan is tempting Jesus to do a celestial bungee jump <laughs> off the parapet of the temple. And surely the angels will catch you if you are the son of God, that is. And Jesus answered him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He quotes scripture directly. The angels will protect you? Oh yeah, he knows they will. Would angels protect Jesus? In Matthew 26, when he's been arrested that night, he says to them, do you think I cannot call on my father and he would at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? He has this power. One legion is 6,000. 12 legions is 6,000 times 12, or 7,200 angels. Now, in Isaiah's, in Isaiah's um, book, Prophecy, the angel of the Lord went out one night and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. The next morning, they were all dead. One angel of the Lord killed 185,000 men. If one angel can kill 1,800 uh, 185,000 men, 6,000 angels can kill 1,110,000,000 men, 72 angels, you get the idea. It's exponential, the power Jesus has. But he knows the Psalm of King David, Psalm 34, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Matthew 25 says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. This is what we have to look forward to. The Son of Man comes in all his glory with all the angels, myriads of angels with him. Round two goes to Jesus. Ding, ding, ding. Round three of the temptations. Then the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their magnificence. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will just prostrate yourself and worship me. And Jesus said to him, get away, Satan. It is written, the Lord your God shall you worship and him alone shall you serve. Jesus won't fall for his tactics. Satan is the prince of this world. It's in John's gospel three times. Jesus' kingdom, though, is not of this world. He has no interest in any type of political alliance with Satan. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by Jews. But now, my kingdom is from another place. There is one way to rule this kingdom. To lay down his very life through humble, self-sacrificing love. Jesus, who though was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped like Adam did. Rather, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, coming in human likeness and found human in appearance. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even to death on a cross. We are called to imitate him, this type of humility, to lay our lives down in the service of others. We too are called to resist temptation, to accept God's will for our lives, to be obedient to his will for our lives, to trust him in all things, and to suffer. 
so as to complete what is lacking in Christ's sufferings for the sake of the redemption of all the church. What? Is anything lacking in Christ's suffering, the once for all sacrifice? Paul tells us. Now I, Paul, rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ on behalf of his body, which is the church. Yes, we are still called to suffer in Christ, with Christ, for Christ, for each other. He will not bow down to Satan. He will crush Satan, though it cost him his life. He will not compromise to evil. His heart's holy for God, the Father, and his heart is holy for the road to the cross, an uphill, narrow road, the battle of his life. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. This is a picture by Tassad of angels ministering to Jesus. They also minister to him in the Garden of Gethsemane when he tells the apostles, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he draws away from them and he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. After the angel has appeared and strengthened him, he goes on in anguish and he prays even more fervently, more earnestly. And even to the point where his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus sweats blood. This is going to be a hard battle to the cross. This is a real condition, hematidrosis. A high level of emotional agony can cause people to sweat blood. Sweat glands start hemorrhaging. Round three goes to Jesus. But the ultimate battle is not yet over until Jesus says, it is finished. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, friends, at Catechism number 540, Jesus' temptation reveals the way in which the Son of God is Messiah. Contrary to the way Satan proposes to him and the way men wish to attribute to him, this is why Christ vanquished the tempter for us. For we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tested as we are yet without sinning. By the solemn 40 days of Lent, the church unites herself each year to the mystery of Jesus in the desert. Lent is that desert time for us to be united to the mystery of Jesus. In Lent, we too fast more and we pray more and we're strengthened more to, to battle against Satan. Catechism 566 says that the temptation in the desert shows Jesus the humble Messiah who triumphs over Satan by his total adherence to the plan of salvation willed by the Father. Oh, friends, that we too could adhere to the plan of salvation willed by the Father in our own lives. It is never what we had planned out what our lives would look like, but it's what He had planned out for us. It is our road to sainthood, and we must trust and obey the Father. Jesus Christ faced Satan, and he did not give in to his empty lies or his faulty promises. He stood firm in his trust of his Father's plan, and he was obedient in 
all things. That desert time of fast and prayer strengthened his resolve and united him with an even sharper focus to the will of the Father. And he knew sacred scripture, and he himself is the Word. He had self-awareness and self-knowledge, and above all else, he had humility. Jesus Christ, though in the form of God, did not think equality with God was something to be grasped. So he completely emptied himself, takes the form of a slave, a human, being born in the likeness of man. He gives it all, every drop of his blood for his bride, the church, for you and for me. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There is one who we can follow, who will never deceive us or never lead us astray. He came that we might have life and have it to the full. His name is Jesus. And if you seek him, you will find him. Thank you for seeking truth with me today. Keep seeking. Keep finding out more and more and more about his great and undying love for you. Until next time, keep seeking truth. You've been listening to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To hear and or to download this episode, along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. To learn how you can become a participant, either online or in a classroom setting of the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study, go to seekingtruth.net. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com and the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study. Join us next time for Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.